So we are in a sermon series on uh, discipleship, which is what we call the, the work of following Jesus. If you had to define discipleship, you would say that discipleship is effortful growth. Uh, more specifically, effortful growth in the things of God or effortful growth in the things of the kingdom of Christ. Discipleship takes discipline. It takes both effort and growth, hard work and increase. And in our lives, we should be seeing both. We should be seeing lots of effort, lots of hard work, and we should be seeing increase. We should be seeing fruitfulness. We should be seeing harvest. And if we are not seeing effort, and if we are not seeing growth, uh, then, you know, we're not, we're not really getting uh, the full measure of what we should get in our walk with Jesus. About the first thing that Jesus taught us about discipleship, about walking and working with Him in this life, is that we have to be convinced that it is worth it. And Jesus taught a lot about how worth it it is to follow Him in this world, which tells you, one, it's fairly worth it, and two, we need to remind ourselves that it is, because the currents of the world constantly contend against the worth of eternal things. We need to work to be heavenly minded uh, about this. One of the things that makes discipleship really worth it, uh, we, uh, we explored in one sermon, is, is this little thing called eternal life, which is a fairly big deal. And eternal life is a great, is a great reward of discipleship uh, with Jesus. If you're going to live forever uh, in the presence and purposes of, the God, of God, then pretty much anything that you suffer through in this life uh, is, is menini by comparison. Abundant life is another reward that makes it worth it. Uh, Jesus promised us abundant life in the sense of a life that is filled with goodness, both goodness within and goodness that we get to share throughout. <coughs> That's what we took a look at last week. Uh, today we're going to take a look at another benefit of discipleship with Jesus, and it is the benefit of having a purpose, having a purposeful life. Here's my contention. If you feel like your life has great purpose, that is inherently satisfying. That in and of itself is a joy. Uh, but following a life of God's purpose for you also means that you will have a well-resourced life. If you pursue the purposes of God for you, you will always have everything that you need to accomplish your job. And that, to me, is also a worthy benefit. Let me ask you a small question to start. What is the meaning of life? 42, 42 for the Dennis Adams fans. If you don't get the joke, don't worry about it. It's a very famous, hilarious book written by an atheist there. Uh, but a very comical one. What is the meaning of life? To glorify God. Good answer. Good. I, I, feel, I feel validated in my desire to preach this sermon today. Evidently, we need it. Um, an important rephrase when I think about that question, what's the meaning of life? An important rephrase for me is, what's the purpose of life? When I say, what's the meaning of life, I, I think about, uh, you know, why are we here? When I think about what's the purpose of life, I think about what should we be doing? And on any given day, I think the second question is more important. Because I think uh, when we do what we should be doing, we tend to figure out why we're here. You know, there's, 
some strong connection anyway between meaning and function. It's when we do what we do uh, that we discover uh, the whys of life. <clears throat> Second question, do you feel like your life has a purpose? Now think about that seriously for a minute. Do you really feel like your life is just filled with purpose and meaning and function and accomplishment and fruitfulness, or at least high potential for fruitfulness? What do you think? Or do you feel a little bit like your life is, is being wasted? That's just a very important question. And it's an important question for us to <clears throat> answer honestly. If you don't feel like your life has purpose, then you need to ask, why not? What's going wrong uh, that you should feel that your life has no purpose? Do you lack guidance? Do you feel like, well, you just don't know what to do? And that's stifling your purpose in life. Or do you feel like you lack capacity, that your life might have purpose if you were just able to do more, if you were more skilled, more gifted, had more strength? something like that. Guidance, capacity, or do you feel like your life lacks resources? You know what to do. Uh, you could probably pull off the job if you just had a few resources coming your way. Does that help at all? You feel like there are some, there's some, a choke point maybe, the purpose of your life? These are the things that I think about uh, late at night. Uh, the question that keeps me up at night is what keeps people from their purpose? Sometimes I'm thinking about what keeps me from my purpose. Uh, <clears throat> from accomplishing my purpose anyway, uh, but very frequently as a, as a uh, spiritual leader, and that's what my resume says, I'm thinking about what keeps people from pursuing their purpose or accomplishing their purpose in, in life. Uh, if God hires you for a job, <clears throat> do you think you're able to do it? Yeah, because yeah, he's a really, really smart employer. So if he hires you for the job, you're qualified. I feel like we're a little bit stifled this morning, maybe by the humidity, by the heat. Is that true? Is that true? Okay, just to the person to your right, fan. Go ahead. To the person to your left, fan. Good, that takes care of that problem. Lend me your ears, countrymen. I think we can do this sermon. I think we can overcome. I think we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. This sermon is just inspiration within inspiration. I just... Yeah, so I'm not an entertainer. If God hires you for a job, you think you're going to fail to have instruction. Or is he going to lead you pretty well? Jesus, pretty good leader. Um, if God hires you for the job, you think you're going to be underpaid, under-resourced? No. Um, or do you just think you have no purpose, that maybe uh, God has designed you for waste? Anyone think that? that for, for whatever reason, when he designed the universe, he gave purpose to a lot of people, but you are designed to be the counterexample. Anyone feel that way? I feel like that sometimes. All these things sort of get in, in the way uh, of us pursuing our purpose, and I just think it's worth asking, well, what will really get us to pursue our purpose uh, that we have in God? Let's just take it as an article of faith that we all have one. Um, let's take it as an article of faith that that purpose is beneficial to us 
and try to figure out what it is that's going to get us to move into the full benefit of our purpose in life. I think there are two things that might get us there. Uh, one is the carrot, you know, if we realize the benefit of pursuing the purposes of Christ for us. And the other, of course, is the, the stick. That if we don't pursue our purpose, you know, it will not end well for us. And the Scripture says both things. Uh, first of all, to back up a little bit, to follow Jesus means to have a job. That when we start following Jesus, we have uh, an assignment, and it's about the first thing we hear him say to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people in the new uh, gender nonspecific translations of the Bible. Um, follow me and you're going to have a job to do. And that was the invitation that he used for disciples, which just tells me a lot. You know, come, uh, we got stuff to do together. And I think that call of Jesus has been going out uh, for 2,000 years since. Follow me, uh, we, got, we got stuff to do. Uh, here is a truism uh, that you can write down and remember uh, as you consider discipleship in your life and around you. There is no discipleship without doing ministry. There is no discipleship without doing ministry which means you're not following Jesus unless you're trying to spread the kingdom, bless people, take the gospel to people, rescue people. If you're not doing ministry, you're not doing discipleship. Right? Follow me so far? So there's a, a good personal inventory question uh, for your life. Jesus said to his disciples, I only do what I see the Father doing. Remember that? Uh, and so that begs all sorts of questions for me, uh, but one insight it gives me is that if I look at what Jesus was doing, I can tell what God the Father was up to. And Jesus, it, it occurs to me, was always busy with ministry, right? We hardly ever see him when the dude wasn't taking care of someone and bringing someone uh, closer uh, to, to God, which means that Father God is always ministering, which means that if we want to hang out with them, we're going to be ministering. Jesus does what the, he sees the Father doing. We do what we see Jesus doing, and, and that's characteristic of our life of discipleship. Uh, when uh, on occasion the disciples had a mind to stop ministering, uh, Jesus made them feed 5,000 people. <laughs> Lord, send them away. No, 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 no. You give them something to eat. And in ministering, the disciples got provided for. Right, the food came to them. We encounter Jesus in any number of wonderful ways. You can encounter Jesus on the road to Damascus as a bright light from the sky. You can encounter Jesus for the first time uh, in a worship service like this where somebody gives you an invitation to come to faith. You can encounter Jesus uh, as a friend shares uh, Jesus with you. Uh, but you cannot follow Jesus unless you're ministering. You have a purpose. You have a, a job to do. Um, which means that if you are in discipleship, you will always come to know what your purpose is. What your job is. You will always come to know what your fruitful function in the world is. And I think that's a benefit. You think that's a benefit? That's a big deal to a meaning junkie like me. Okay, how do you know uh, what your job is in this life. You know, yes, 
there is no discipleship without ministry. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to get busy ministering. How do you know what you should be doing when you do that? And that's a really easy question to answer because we all basically have the same job. It's just a matter of how you go about doing it. And how you, about, how you go about doing it is it's really just a matter of your particular giftings, but usually you figure out what you're good at as you go, right? Like every other area in life. People get muddle-headed about life purpose. When they say, what is my purpose in life? Uh, often what they want to know is what is my position in life or what is my secure position uh, in life? Uh, but I tend to think about it in terms of not, not position, but, but function. I have something to get done. And if I know what I have to get done, that's enough for me. I will figure out how to do it eventually. I will try this, and if that doesn't work, I will try that. But if I know what I am supposed to get done, I'm never lacking for life direction. So what are we supposed to get done in the world? Our first uh, scripture uh, today in the back of your program will be Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20. It's a set of verses that is famously known as the Great Commission. This is toward the end of his time on earth, Jesus speaking to his disciples. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That word nations can be a bit deceptive. It means all ethnic groups or all people on earth. Go and make everyone into disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, which is what it means to make disciples. Teach them to obey. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, I find that uh, a powerful verse and, and kind of a comforting one too, although changing uh, everyone in the world does sound like an ambitious job description. I am comforted to know that Jesus will be with us. It's great purpose its tremendous function with Jesus right alongside. It's, it's working with Jesus, which is exactly the job that I want. We'll be talking uh, a lot at the retreat, and we'll be talking for several weeks after the retreat about how to make disciples. But, just to be clear, that is our business. Your purpose in life is to make disciples of absolutely everyone on the planet. That's what you're supposed to be about. I got one woohoo. Do I hear a amen? Uh, a chihu? A hallelujah? It's kind of fun. I've, I've... Go Niners? <clears throat> um, so that's it. That's it. That's the purpose of our lives is to go out and make disciples of everyone. Which means, if you are not trying to make disciples of people right now, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not trying to make disciples of people, you're in rebellion. It means you're being disobedient. It means you are not in discipleship. Jesus' command is to go and make disciples, and it says, you know, you make a disciple by teaching obedience. So if we're not trying to make disciples, we are in full-scale you know, denial. We're in disobedience uh, to the Lord. And uh, that can bring some serious 
repercussions. More on that in a moment. The bottom line is we have uh, a great purpose. And uh, as we work with Jesus, who I imagine is a great teacher and a great leader, uh, we get better at it and discover our best gifts and tools for the job. We won't all go about it the same way, but we're all going to do the same thing in the end. Our job is to make disciples. Now, we get a lot of resources to do our job. We read about one important one uh, a little bit further down in the back of your program. Put it up here on the big board from Acts chapter 1. This is sort of the, uh, the thesis statement of the age of the Holy Spirit, the beginning of the Christian church on earth. One of Jesus's final instructions to his disciples, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. To follow Jesus means to walk with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a very powerful dude. Basically, Jesus says, when you get filled with the Spirit, you have the power to, well, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You have the power to change the whole world. We got it. We got the power. We are well-resourced. We might come up against challenges and roadblocks and stuff like that, but we always have enough power to get the job done. About the first thing that Jesus said to the church. Um, We are well-resourced people. In Mark 16, there's another version of this great commissioning, and it goes like this. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe uh, will be condemned. you got to trust God. And these things will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. Seems like a handy resource. They will speak in new tongues. We won't talk about that today, but in other words, you know, you'll be a supernatural person. They will pick up snakes with their hands. No comment on that this morning. They will drink deadly poison, and it will not hurt them at all. There's sort of this imperviousness. And they will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. It all sounds like fairly powerful stuff, and it's, and it's all stuff that no one but Christians can do. So we become a uniquely powerful people when we get on the job when we pursue our purpose. Uniquely powerful. Um, We don't even have to worry about what we say in Matthew 10. Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Which is why I don't prep my sermons at all. If you wondered. It's just the Spirit of the Father. No, I got, I got some notes, uh, but I try not to worry about it too much. Uh, the Spirit of the Father is speaking every time we get busy, is my, is my belief and my, and my trust. We don't even have to worry about that. We have the message within us, and it just comes out organically, supernaturally, if we get busy and do our job. And there's more if we follow our purpose, if we do our job. This eerie blessing falls on our lives. Um, Everything starts to work out. Everything falls into place for us when we move in the purposes of the Lord for us. Romans 8.28 is on your program. Uh, Everybody loves this memory verse. 
And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Um, If we are according to his purpose, if we are moving that way in, in life, then God's working everything out for our good. And that's a fairly nice benefit, I think. I call it an eerie blessing. Uh, because that's kind of how I've experienced it in, in life. So I've come to perceive it. In life, um, uh, I'm old now, right? I'm, I'm in my late 40s. One foot in the grave. Um, looking back on my uh, years of discipleship with Jesus, I think I, there's been some great advancements in my life, some great transitions in my life, and pretty much every one of them has happened as the result of a failure or disappointment of some kind. I fail forward. That's how the Lord has advanced me in life. I do not like it, but I appreciate it in retrospect. It's eerie, right? Things go terribly wrong, And then stuff kind of falls into place. You know, this church would not be here but for a failed career and several failed ministries. Yeah, she might be the next failed ministry. I don't know. I don't know. But it will all work out. Everything will fall into place, right? And there will somehow be more fruitfulness on the next horizon. That's just how life with... Jesus on the job is for us. Ah, well, I screwed that up. Look at the harvest. It's eerie. That's why I call it an eerie blessing. Anyone else experience life like that? It's like, man, I really wanted that thing. It didn't work out. Thank God. Thank God. Because now I'm on to this thing. Um, I've learned to always expect provision, no matter what. Like I said, I don't like the way my, my life works sometimes. But I have always learned to expect provision and to move forward in expectation of things falling into place somehow. All things work together for good if we are moving according to his purpose. You know, this eerie blessing is, is connected a bit to our purpose, to, to us doing our job, you know, if we move in his purpose, if we respond to his purpose, yeah, everything sort of eerily falls into place for us. A, a scripture that says it more generally and, and in a way more directly is, is Matthew 10, 39, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, or like the Mark 8 version a little bit better, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel We'll save it. Well, now we understand a little more fully that if we are working to spread the gospel, if we are working to spread the kingdom of God on earth, and it involves the loss of our life, whether literally or metaphorically, the loss of our dreams, our expectations, or our comforts, well, we're going to find life in that, even in death, life, which is a profound way of saying, you know, everything works out well, <laughs> even death, no matter what the defeat is. This eerie blessing falls upon us, and everything kind of comes in line eventually. That's nice. That's a nice benefit of, uh, of, of working according to God's purpose for you. Much could be said uh, about those verses, um, but I take them as comfortable, comforting rather.
Actually, one of the first things that Jesus ever tells the crowds in his ministry is that they had a purpose. And he said it right away with a bit of sternness in it. In Matthew 5, at sort of the beginning of his preaching ministry, uh, he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon of all. In, in some of the opening lines, he says to this rabble that has begun to follow him, you are the salt of the earth. You are what gives the world flavor, which is a, which is a wonderful job description. But if salt has lost its taste, if you fail to do your job, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Okay, that is not so comforting. That is sobering. This is who you are. You are supposed to be changing the world. If you're not doing that, it's just really not worth it. You are the light of the world. That sounds great. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. You have a person. You have a purpose. You're supposed to be illuminating the whole region anyway because you're perched on a hill. It would be ludicrous if you're a light to hide under a bucket. It would be ludicrous if you have great purpose to not do it, in other words. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. you got to do your job. You have a job. I am calling you to be the spice of the world. I am calling you to be the illumination for all people. I am calling you to be fishers of men. You know, they have a purpose. This is the first thing that Jesus says to people. And you got to do it or things are terribly wrong, Jesus says. In John chapter 15, Jesus gives a, a teaching on the vine and the branches. I know some of you are quite familiar with it. It is a passage that we will be studying in some depth at the all-church retreat uh, this weekend. Uh, but, but I feel like that passage says it even more severely. He says, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Uh, it is to the Father's glory that the branches bear much fruit. You have a job to do. A branch that bears no fruit gets cut off and thrown into the fire. Okay, you got my attention. There is no discipleship without ministry. If you're not working to spread the kingdom, you're not really following. And if you're not following, then you're not trustworthy. And if you're not trustworthy, you're not safe. And if you're not safe, you get destroyed in the end. If children are dying, whether they be adult children or chronologically young children, if, if children are dying in the world and you're not doing anything, God can't trust you. And the repercussions are severe according to, to Christ. We have great purpose or else. That's kind of how he's saying it, you know. The opposite of discipleship is not unbelief, it's rebellion, it's foot dragging, it's disobedience. And this is the big, this is the big measure of it. Are you or are you not ministering um, to, to spread? 
the gospel, to bring people to faith, to bring people into trusting relationship with, with the Lord. All right, well, that begs some questions. That, that, really, that really makes me feel serious. So I think we should ask, how, let me ask you, how many of you personally have tried to, let's just say, tried to lead a non-believer to faith in the Lord in the last 40 days? How many of you personally and individually have tried to, to lead a non-believer to faith in, in the trustworthy God? All right, well, that's good for you guys. Uh, the six of you have raised your hand. Uh, for the rest of us, huh. No, I've only, I've only specified the last 40 days. And I've only specified trying to need, lead a non-believer uh, to faith in the, in the trustworthy God. Uh, uh, and I've only specified how many of you personally. So I made it a very particular question. You know, we can generalize it a little bit. Uh, how many of, of you um, have worked on a team or in some sort of organized ministry that has tried to lead a non-believer to faith in the Lord within the last 40 days? In other words, you've been part of an enterprise that has tried to bring people to faith. All right, so we've, we've tripled our numbers. I would like to think that Blue Water is one of those uh, ministries, by the way. Uh, we have seen people come to faith. Uh, in a good way over the last 40 days. And if you're part of Blue Water, uh, congratulations. Everybody breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, but I just ask those questions. Uh, it might sound a bit, a bit superficial and overly convenient, but I ask them to be provocative, right? This is our business. This is what we're supposed to do. And there is no discipleship unless we are about it in some fashion. I think more than anything in the world, the enemy wants to keep you from spreading faith in Jesus. Right? More than anything in the world, the enemy wants to contain the spread of faith. Because if he can do that for a generation or so, then he wins. Um, he has brought a lot of people uh, to destruction. Uh, if Satan can keep you from bringing people to faith in Jesus, then he's more or less happy with you. I hate to think about Satan being happy with me. I hate that. You know, good question. You think Satan's happy with your life? I don't know. It's a hard question to ask. Uh, does Satan have you muted? Does he have you all disobedient, failing to do your purpose? These are simplistic questions. Uh, we, I intend them simply to be uh, food for thought. There are many ways to make contributions to the spread of the kingdom, but provocative and fruitful questions to ask nonetheless. One thing that we can be happy about in life is that purpose begets purpose. If you follow your purpose, if you try to do your job, if you try to expand and the kingdom, if you try to make disciples of the whole earth, if you try to make disciples of people in your sphere of influence uh, in life, uh, you can start pursuing that generally, and over time, uh, God will speak to you more specifically. You'll get not just a mission, you'll get an assignment, a specific expression of mission, and, uh, and that's really fun. When that starts to happen, you know, you hear specific callings on your life. We all basically have the same job, but over time we'll figure out the best ways for us as individuals to contribute to the doing of that job on earth. But it starts with generally getting busy. It starts with doing it. 
Uh, but that's a great truism. Purpose begets purpose. If you, if you really feel like you have no guidance, just get busy doing the Great Commission. And you will increasingly get more guidance as you go. You can't steer a ship that's not moving. Once you get moving, uh, you, can, you can be uh, directed. Um, one great thing about making disciples of all people is that we get to spread purpose to all people. Right? An invitation that I get to make to people a lot is, you know, it's not just, hey, would you like to get to know the living God? Cool invitation. Um, but also, this God has purpose and meaning for your existence. As I invite you into discipleship with us, then you get to discover what that is. Right? Your life becomes something fruitful. You know? You become a, a multiplier in the universe. I feel like that's a powerful invitation. Are you with me on that? I love to make disciples. I love to evangelize because I feel like I'm giving people meaning. And I'm a meaning junkie. So that, that just feels very compelling to me. I think lots of people just kind of wake up in the morning and be like, blah, what, what's going on here? You know, what is, what is this about? And I think increasingly that's happening in our culture. People are busier than ever and more purposeless than ever. This is a great countercultural invitation that we're making. You want to be part of that? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we want to be disciples. We want to be followers, uh, which means we want to be on purpose, on task. Um, I pray, Lord, for the spread of discipleship in our midst. I pray that um, you would give us the benefit of discipleship, the benefit of our mission. I pray, Lord, for guidance for every individual. I pray for resourcing. I pray for a visitation of the Holy Spirit for faith and empowerment. The opposite of discipleship is rebellion, Lord, so uh, we just want to lay aside rebellion. Uh, maybe if uh, you're here today, you've been trying to follow Jesus without spreading the gospel, Here's an opportunity for us to re repent from that. To stop being rebellious and get, get to work. God has made you a fisher of people. An influencer of the whole planet. He'll make a way We got to get busy. When Jesus makes an invitation to people, um, he invites them to work. But he also says, uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Uh, my yoke is easy, 
my burden is light. You have a lot of work to do, but it will rest comfortably on your shoulders. I just feel like there are a lot of people here who have been travailing in life, working so hard, but just experiencing, you know, miscarriage and, 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 uh, and fruitlessness. At the last instance, things go awry, you're not breaking through. And Jesus would like to invite you into a different work today. It may or may not involve you working harder, but it will definitely involve you feeling more rest and ease. If you'd like to accept that yoke, maybe that's some business you can do right now with the Holy Spirit. Well, Father, I pray that you'd perfect your agenda for each of us today and that we'd all be changed at least a little bit before we go. We pray that you would raise us up to be a fruitful people on purpose filled with abundant life, uh, enjoying the promise of eternity with you. Uh, make us uh, a nation of disciples that we might disciple the nations. Uh, be blessed this week with works of freedom and rest in your life. In Christ's name, everybody says, Amen.